here's what I say. Here's yeah. what I even have a seven-figure domain name picked out for you. I okay. will write the five million dollar check for you to go do it as far as a seed round, uh, or up to five million if you want to let other people oh, in. Shit. That's amazing. This just got uh, spicy. Okay. Oh yeah. my god. What's the domain <laughs> name that you have? I, I am I am dead serious. Yeah. I feel like I can rule the world. I know I could be what I want to. I put my all in it like no days off on the road, less travel, never looking back. All right. We just got done like 30 seconds ago talking to the guy who we're going to introduce you to now. Uh, that was amazing. He's amazing. He, that guy's am- Darmesh is amazing. He's very cool. Um, so we have Darmesh. I don't even know. His la- what is Darmesh's last name? Darmesh Shah? I think Shah. I just know him as Darmesh. Um, he's the co-founder of... He's like Beyonce. You know, they just go with the one name at a certain point. Ron yeah. Ronaldo, Beyonce, Darmesh. That's, that's it. So Darmesh um, is the co-founder of HubSpot. He's the largest shareholder. I mean, we, we got pretty uh, like into it right away. We're like, just tell like it, tell us, what, what's it like to be a billionaire? Tell you, like, so I just Googled your net worth, and it appears well, you're worth a billion dollars. Yeah. So we so asked how does, him, how does that feel? And he's like, uh. <laughs> no, I told him I was going to talk to him about that. So we talked to him about just like wealth, well, which was... Let, let's rattle off some of the dope things he's done. So started HubSpot. HubSpot's like a whatever, $25 billion company or something like that. But he's done some other cool things. Early investor in Coinbase, Dropbox, and loads of different stuff. Right. And then also just has kind of like, he's like us. He's got that itch, that entrepreneurial itch. So he like, we talk a little bit about, he's got like 20 domain names, some domain names that are worth like, you know, millions of dollars and others that are, you know, just simple ideas. Whenever he has an idea. By the way, hundreds of domain names. Right. But he's like got ideas loaded into them. Like, oh, here's what you might do with this idea. And then here's a good domain name for it. And so I think he's, you know, he's sort of like, he's one of our people in that sense. Like he's an idea person. He's a frameworks person. So he shared some frameworks. He shared a bunch of ideas, two, two really big ideas. In my one opinion. idea on air. He goes, Sean, if you want to start this, I'll fund you right now for $5 million. Yeah. He made me an offer. I pretty much couldn't refuse. I just had to sort of, you know, uh, yeah, squeeze my thighs and sit still here. So, so, you know, but I thought it was exciting. I thought the actual ideas were really great. Um, so I think people are going to like that. We talk a little bit about the, we talk a little bit about wealth. We talk a little bit about kind of like early days, you know, HubSpot and, and the hustle acquisition. And then we talk a bunch about ideas. And then we, uh, some of those ideas are about like a new different type of LinkedIn or remote community. We talked about, um, oh, he talked about his framework for evaluating if, it's a, if an idea is good or not, if he should pursue it. Uh, that was actually incredibly educational. It was awesome, dude. It was great. So, uh, We'll get to the episode. Can you guys do me a favor, though? Click that subscribe button on iTunes and that follow button on Spotify. That would mean a lot. Uh, Do we have to tell them anything else? Well, there's a thing going around where if you just post on your social networks and you're just like, hey, you know, PSA to whoever needs this, this podcast, you know, makes my commutes amazing. This is the best business podcast, hands down. Um, You know, good karma comes to you in your next life. So that's just something. If you're interested in having a good next life, I would just do that. Yeah, and I'll reshare that for sure. I mean, because it impacts my ego, and we hit, I hit, I, I share all, I share all compliments. So go ahead and do that. Make sure you share the iTunes or Spotify link with it. Thank you very Here's much. Here's the thing about me: I like compliments. All right. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Enjoy um, this episode. I don't remember what I was going to say, but I, right before you came on, I was asking Darmesh what he listens to, and he says that he listens to us almost every day for the past sixty days. Amazing. Like, has that uh, changed you? Have you become, you've probably become a worse person. You seem like a pretty good person. I feel like if you listen to us for 60 straight days, there's going to be a part of your brain that's good, but a part that gets like corrupted slightly. You know, it's, I think that's true. That's an astute observation. <laughs> um, it's, you know, we've just have, uh, I won't say like completely divergent paths. I'm just a, yeah, it's been good though. I'm, I'm, I'm a believer in 
and uh, like just these kind of orthogonal things. That's like, oh, this is not stuff I'm like, you know, looking at retail businesses or like you guys have a wide array of stuff. Um, but I think that kind of thing like builds a different muscle group. And I think it's been it's been useful for me. Um, I'll, I'll put it to you that way. It's I think we're not uh, so, separated at birth by any stretch. We have things that you know, <laughs> we collectively have in common, but um, there are things that I'm just different. And it'll come out in the pod. So I'm, I'm a weird well, dude. We're we're on now, so um, yeah, right. this is the pod. But this we, uh, pod. yeah, this might. I have a feeling this might go a little long, and I'm okay with that. Uh, Sean, do what you want. But hey, quick break to talk about our sponsor today. We're talking about HubSpot and their new AI powered service hub. Okay, so what is service hub? Basically, every customer today wants to be talked to in a personalized way, and before that required tons of human agents. But now with AI, you could do that in a personalized way with fewer humans involved, and so you don't have to scale up your team in order to deliver personalized chat and service. So check out HubSpot's new service hub to use their AI tools to give better support to your customers. That's what they want and that's what they deserve. So visit HubSpot.com slash service to learn how this all new solution can help you deliver customer service with AI to your customers. We, um, I, like, are in my world, so I was just hanging out with Heat and Shy yesterday mm-hmm. and your your name came up. We were just talking to Nathan Barry the other day. Your name came up. Came up. Sean and I are in this text group where people talk about BitClout. Your name comes up. Your name comes up everywhere. Like you're, you got, you're like a little, like you got like a spider web. Like you get your hands in all these little <laughs> things. And I, I think part of it's because you've been in the game for a while and you're incredibly successful. But do you, so uh, this is Darmesh. Darmesh is the, uh, you're the co founder of HubSpot. Is your title CTO? Yes. CTO. Do you, are you active? Like, are you working really hard at HubSpot? Like, how do you have time to be, have your hands in all this different stuff? Uh, so the answer is yes. Uh, HubSpot is my obsession and preoccupation. Uh, anything else that you see me doing, uh, there's probably some diabolical thread that connects it back to HubSpot. Uh, that's the <laughs> number, there is, right? Um, so yeah, it's my baby. It's the thing that uh, I spend pretty much all of my kind of non-family time, non-personal time on. Um, so it's my and I just want to describe for people who are not watching. So, so you should go to the YouTube channel. It's youtube.com slash, I think, HustleCon. And you'll see the videos. But uh, so here's what I see. So Darmesh is sitting there. He's got a keyboard, like a piano keyboard to his right. Uh, he's got, a, I think, a Steve Jobs uh, piece of art behind him. Or is that Lennon or something like that? I can't tell exactly who it is. John Lennon, maybe. Um, and you're in this room. So just descri- is this where you work on a day-to-day basis? Uh, so this is, well, yes and no. So this you're, is my, you're getting tricked, Sean. You're getting tricked. Listen. This is my living room, uh, but it's a, a, like a capture a moment in time when the living room was somewhat less disorganized than it usually would be. Uh, but it's a virtual background. I've got the green screen and things set up so I can. Oh, okay. That's pretty good. Because you, usually when you have a green screen, it's like half your head also turns into like the background. And uh, this one's actually pretty good. All right. I'm impressed. I've, I've done like a multiple green screen, so I'm sort of surrounded with it. So if I need to twist the camera one way or the other, uh, it's still so, kind of... So you're kind of doing the Oasis thing we talked about. You basically, you have a virtual background, but the virtual background is not just you on a beach, like a fake Correct. situation. It's your actual living room when it's like clean and perfect the way you want it or whatever. Yeah. And you're like, that's what I want my background to be, regardless of the reality of the the current, whatever your current situation is. Yeah. I, I like that. Trick really cool is that the keyboard itself is actually real. That's not part of the background. So if I go here, <laughs> you'll see that the big sound. So it's just kind of cool. But. So let me, um, let me do like a, a very brief intro and like an overview of what we're going to talk about. So Darmesh sent us like a list of ideas. We're going to get into them. But I need to give a background here so the listeners entirely understand. So HubSpot today is like a 25 or 30, I don't know, whatever the market cap is, 
Uh, so $25 billion publicly traded company. You co-founded it 15 years ago, I think. Yep. Prior to that, you had another startup that you sold for a significant amount of money. We can talk about that. Throughout this whole time, you own, uh, I believe, millions and millions of dollars worth of domains. Like you, um, you bought your wife like as a, a gift, humanism.com, which we got to talk about. <laughs> That's pretty funny. You've, um, you're an, or an angel investor in a lot of different startups, including Coinbase and things like that. You've got your hands in all these different things. Like you, according to Wallmine or WallStreetMine.com, you're worth today $850 million. Uh, so, like, you, you do a little bit of everything in the world of business. It's incredibly fascinating. And so, I wanted to talk today, talk about you might be, well, you might be the wealthiest person we've ever had on this podcast. I'm going to ask you questions about that. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. It's fine. It's, <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna ask you questions. Market about it doesn't really matter. Uh, that's the one thing I've learned. We can talk about that too. Well, it's, that's that's okay if it doesn't matter. We're gonna talk about it. We're also gonna talk about um, your ideas. Uh, we're gonna talk about building HubSpot. We're gonna talk about why you invest and what you invest. And we're gonna talk about um, uh, do you ever invest in non startup stuff? We're gonna invest about. We're gonna talk about a lot of stuff. Sean, what do you think? Well, I would have asked him. Okay, so here's my question. My question is actually not about uh, Darmesh. It's actually about uh, Sam. So, uh, so you, so I've always wondered this. So you acquired the hustle, and I hope you could be as uh, as transparent as you want here. I think Sam will will, will not care. Um, so, I would say DNA wise, the hustle is kind of a unique company. Sam's a pretty unique uh, dude that you kind of brought into your company. Different DNA probably than the vast majority of employees there. Uh, give me kind of like well, and you too. You're, you're part of the deal too, Sean. So you're well, in the you're sure. In the you don't have to deal with me on a day to day basis. So, so doing that deal and bringing these guys in, I guess like I don't know. Are there any inter interesting observations? Any entertaining little stories about either pre acquisition or post that had to do with you know Sam and the hustle? I'm just curious, kind of like what's your view on that side of the table? Because I've only been on the same side that Sam's on. Yeah, and we haven't. HubSpot has not done a lot of acquisitions uh, in the past. We've done a handful of them. Uh, pretty much most of them have gone well. But the one thing that made this different, I think, as you as you observed, is um, the DNA of the hustle is different uh, than HubSpot, and um, and that's both a good thing and a bad thing. So the thing I was worried about is, um, and and I until now I don't think Sam and I have actually ever had a one on one chat. So that's well, okay. this, this is my therapy session for you guys. <laughs> Therapy for uh, two people. Sean. Yeah, and I talk a lot on Slack. Yeah, on He's Slack. Like, we're like buddies on Slack. Talk. But the thing I was worried about is that, um, you know, so Sam is a kind of what I would think of as a kind of type A personality. Um, just like he's out there, he's hustling. That's hence the uh, name of the company, um, which is fine, but it's just not uh, most of the makeup of HubSpot is not that. We're a very, we're a, I don't know what the right, it's going to overly stereotype us, but. We're not type A. We're like a kinder, gentler, humble, just quieter kind of company. Yep. Um, so that's the one so, thing. I would... Oh, here, let me explain it this way. So today... Sam would be described as brash. I don't think anybody would ever describe HubSpot as brash. No. Well, today, Kieran, the guy I work with, technically my boss, he was like, uh, you should probably hire someone outside of HubSpot for this role for your growth. And I was like, well, why? He goes, I think you're too direct for anyone who works at HubSpot. <laughs> it's like that. That's an example. I think that was good advice, but um, but it's worked out. It's worked out well. So the, there have been um, like the one kind of minor story I can recall. There was a like a Twitter back and forth that I think Sam had with uh, Rand Fishkin. I don't know if you recall this, Sam. That there was something that was said about VCs or investment or something. Um, and Rand's been a good friend. It's like and, and uh, but I was like, oh, okay, well. 
<laughs> it's fine. I'm like, okay, you know, it's like, not like either party was right, wrong, or indifferent, but I know them, you know, at least now a little bit, uh, both, but anyway, so it's, but it's been fine. Well, okay. in, in, in my defense, I, I hope, and even our podcast defense, our goal is we will disagree with people, but I hope that it never comes from a place of like disrespect or no, no, I'm trying no. to like hurt your feelings. No, no but I is- will say I do put entertainment first sometimes. So sometimes I will poke the bear for the entertainment value of it when, you know, the kinder, nicer, simpler thing to do would be to do to do nothing or just back away. Uh, yeah. so, so I do like to have fun either on Twitter or on the podcast. I'm spot too much, but the one thing I will say, this was, as far as the deal itself, it was one of the better things HubSpot has done. Um, in terms of, like, the strategy behind it, I think, um, is strong in terms of, like, it gets HubSpot into a thing, which is where I think the future of kind of SaaS companies has is going to be heading, which is more and more of them are going to control their own kind of distribution versus kind of renting audiences from other people. Uh, Andreessen Horowitz is, and there's other deals that have been done around the same timeline, but I'm a believer in companies kind of controlling their destiny in terms of distribution versus constantly just buying from buying audiences and renting them from someone else. See, this is where you should just say, just drop a one line, be like, you know, and we got it at a fantastic price just to drive <laughs> Sam crazy for the next seven years. Just leave him constantly no, questioning look, himself. Look, <laughs> I think there, yeah. Could we have sold for more? Definitely. Maybe like that always is a maybe, right? Um, <laughs> I think that when we sold, HubSpot, I felt was undervalued. Uh, I think when I think the day the deal closed, it was or maybe like what was the stock in January? Was it like it was worth like three hundred fifty dollars, or was it even less? Two hundred fifty dollars? Yeah. I, I don't remember. Yeah. Today it's today it's six hundred bucks. So like our guess, my guess was that I think HubSpot is undervalued, um, and also I wanted to create a reputation of someone who was like a fair deal maker and like. Like it, I think people will know that uh, like if I built something, I sold it. The all all parties got a good deal, right. and so okay, all right, sounds good. We can we can switch <laughs> off the hubs the hustle acquisition. So let's do some ideas. Wait, no, so, wait. I want to talk about one thing really quick. Can we let's talk about money stuff? Okay, because <laughs> I told Darmesh I was going to ask him this. Hey, let's take a quick break to tell you about our sponsor. It is a podcast that we want you to check out. It's called D2C Pod. It's hosted by Ramon Berrios and Blaine Bolas. It is brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. And this is a podcast about all things direct-to-consumer, D2C. It's e-commerce stores. It's how you optimize your brand. And they're talking with founders, marketers, and the platform creators about all kinds of things that you need to know for D2C. You know, website conversion, paid ads, Facebook ads, consumer trends, email marketing, If you want to know the stories behind your favorite brands, this podcast is for you. They did an episode recently about scaling creator growth and influencer incentives. I thought it's pretty cool. So check it out. Listen to DTC Pod wherever you get your podcasts. So first of all, is it weird that I know what your net worth is today because it's like public information? Um, It's not weird for me, honestly. Like I'm a... um... I'm generally like transparent. I believe in kind of the openness um, of the web. It's um, and I'm a in a sense it's a publicly traded company. Like that's you know, would I want my like bank accounts and all my accounts kind of published on the web? No. But the fact that I'm an executive in a publicly traded company and most of my net worth is in the form of shares, which you can take the number of shares which is on the public record and multiply it by the current price and get, which is probably roughly 85, 90% of my overall net worth because that's where all my money is, um, is in HubSpot shares. Um, I, I don't find that weird. Uh, it's, yeah. Has your life changed as this, as this has like accumulated and, and things got didn't, different? Or has it basically... So you, you had another company before this. How much did you sell that for? Uh, 10 or 15 in that range based on how you count it. And 
has your life changed since that moment significantly? Because that's a that's a significant number in itself, right? Yeah. So I, here here's the thing. It's um, and I'd like to say you no. Know, you know, I wasn't focused on money, or I'm not focused on at the, at the time when I was younger. I was very, very focused on money and I had very kind of modest upbringing. And I was like, okay, well, it, it wasn't like the money and the accumulation of it. It was the freedom. You know, ever since I was little, I, I always want to kind of configure the universe to my liking, so to speak, because I've got my quirks. So like, these are things, the way I like to do things. Um, and having to kind of work in a normal kind of classic job doesn't give you a whole lot of control over your, your part of the universe. You don't get to control who you work with all that much or who you hire. You don't have um, a lot of degrees of freedom. Um, so you know, I'd been thinking back in then I had, you know, I had kind of thought about money. Um, and like the first, I'll say 5 million or so, um, has a dramatic impact, had a dramatic impact on my life, right? Because that buys you an inordinate amount of freedom, right? You don't have to work again. Um, you can invest in things you can do pretty, as long as you're not out, you know, buying small islands and overtaking countries. I mean, that's a, a decent amount of money for, for folks. Right. Um, and then after that, and there are other kind of, I don't know exactly what the demarcations are, where, you know, more money adds on a marginal basis, uh, a little bit more freedom, you can do more things. Uh, but, you know, like the kinds of things I do, like I enjoy food and restaurants, there's only so much you can actually spend as a reasonable human being, um, even if you like the, the finer things. It's like, okay, well, unless you're trying to make a statement and spend 100 times what the average of a whatever X is, it's kind of hard to, you know, spend money really well, even if you have kind of... High in taste, honestly. Yeah. The most common thing I've heard, I don't know if you would agree or disagree, is like there's these levels. So it's like first uh, in debt, in, when you're in debt to no debt, that's like the first jump where, oh, freedom, got this weight off my shoulders. Yep. Then there's kind of like, you know, um, uh, what I'll call the, the zero to one million where it's like, oh my God, you know, mentally, I'm a millionaire. That's kind of just like a mentally freeing concept and interesting concept. That's why we named the pod what we did. Uh, but also, you know, that that affords you a certain type of lifestyle. And then the next jump I've heard is like at 10 or 10 or 10 ish, where it's yeah. sort of like, okay, at 10 ish, you sort of, um, you don't have to work. Like at a million, you still got to work at 10. You don't have to work. You can kind of like have a couple pl places to live. You could do whatever you want. You don't really need to check the prices when you go do things. Yeah. And then there's sort of like, a hundred or more, which is sort of like, you know, the uh, ego gets involved. It's like, okay, now I'm keeping score against, you know, in the in the business Olympics against against these other folks, and also, you know, I could do some like, you know, like I can I can I can buy an island. I can buy a piece of an NBA team. I can I can go do these different things that are like kind of like bucket list. And and the joy, what I've heard is sort of like, you know, for most people, is sort of like the joy actually like deescalates from the from the beginning there. Like getting out of debt is sort of like the most relief, most joy. And then sort of like it starts to diminish sort of step by step as you go. Like the yeah. 10 to 100 feels a lot less impactful and less sort of changes your, your joy and your mood than uh, like going from zero to 10. Yep. Uh, just uh, two threads I want to pull on as long as we're talking about money. Um, so one is one thing that's kind of helped me reconcile it um, in terms of, um, you know, having to be in the, in the net worth now is, you know, the plan, my wife and I have talked about this, the plan is to donate 90 plus percent of it, right? Like we have one child, we're not going to spoil him. So it's not like we're trying to build a multi-generational dynasty. That is right. not the goal. Um, and so then like, you know, if I make a really good return on a startup or something like that, it's like, okay, well, I'm discount 90%. <laughs> for my wife's foundation, that's essentially what it comes down to, right? So right. You know, most ninety percent of whatever it is, uh, I mean, I don't. I think it'll end up being higher because I just don't think we're capable of actually spending the spending the money. Um, but yeah, so that makes me feel better. But just kind of taking it back to the early days, one kind of 
lesson I learned um, early, early on, and this is useful, um, beginning part of my career, is the kind of the relationship between time and money. Um, and one thing is that we spend the better part of kind of the first half of our lives converting time into money, right? And you're looking for the hours. You're looking for, yeah, you want to get that you know, rate up as, as you can. And then the latter half of you're desperately trying to buy time back with the money however best you can, right? So that's, um, and it varies a little bit as to kind of when that uh, turn happens. But the thing that I kind of learned, this was, I, I thought about it probably a few years after that. Um, so I was making $3.65 uh, in my first job when I came over um, as an immigrant. And I, was, and I worked all the way through school. It took me seven degrees to get my four, uh, seven years to get my four-year degree. I was working full-time the whole way through. Um, and that wasn't a lot of money. And as it turns out, um, I had to do pretty much everything. Nothing was delegatable. But then once I got to the point where I was making $10, $20, $50 an hour, it's like, okay, well, now – and like all of my time, I can make as much billable as I want to, as much as I'm humanly possible, willing to work. There was someone willing to pay me for that time. I was an engineer. That's how things worked back then. It was, and uh, and the the pivotal point for me is I I got this uh, as in my early 20s, I got this bump to like 125 dollars an hour, working as an engineer, and that was an ungodly amount of money. I was in Birmingham, Alabama. This is the you know, the, the 90s. Uh, that was like real money, right? And, and I was working a lot, so I was making a fair amount. So then I made the decision. That if there's anything I've been doing with my time that could be done by spending less than $125 an hour, I'm being an idiot by actually doing it, right? If I enjoy it, that's a different story. But if I'm not, it's just stupid. And so I've carried that kind of idea. It's like, okay, so what value would I place on my time? Right. What is occupying my time that I can kind of delegate? Or even if I'm paying a premium, it's like, okay, I could, I could pay $75 an hour just for someone to pay, you know, to mow my lawn. Yeah, I hate it. But it's still profitable, right? Like, you, right. like, why would you do that? It's like, I would do that every day of the week. Um, so the one thing that's changed for me, um, so now, like, I went back and did the math because I knew I was going to be on this podcast and you, like, you folks like numbers. So if I, I, let's say I worked on average 60 hours a week and I've done that for about 30 years, give or take. Um, it's my kind of professional career. My average hourly rate across the 30 years would be like $10,000 an hour, right? And now it's backloaded. Right. But that's effectively my hourly rate. And so... Now it's like, okay, well, if there's anything, and, and I would actually pay a premium right now, right, above that, right? It's like, so I would not spend my time, even an hour, on anything that wasn't worth at least that. It's like, okay, well, like the future of me would buy it for fifty, dollars $100,000 if there's some option value on that time. Anyway, the, the short message is um, most people don't value their time enough and don't think about it objectively enough. Right. And it, like anything else, is a resource, but it's finite. Uh, but put a number on it. And then ask yourself, like, what are the things I'm doing with my time that are not worth that? Um, right. And, so and Naval has this uh, phrase in, in his, like, kind of how to get rich uh, podcast or whatever, how to get rich without getting lucky. He says, um, he, he goes, you know, put a, put a, put a, um, I don't know what he calls it, like an outrageously out, outrageous hourly rate for yourself. And then, like an a super and ambitious a super rate. super ambitious one, one that's way beyond wherever you're at. He's like, you know, ever since I was young, this is like one of the smart things I did. I just said... $5,000 an hour, some like really aspirational hourly rate. He's like, and my friends used to laugh and joke like, dude, you bought this blender, you're not even using it, go return it. And he's like, no, I'm not going to go return it. I don't, I don't enjoy it. And it's going to get me back $30 for the hour round trip, you know, going and returning this thing at Target. So yep. like, I will throw it away, I will give it away. What I will not do is I will not give my time back into that uh, because the hourly rate just doesn't make sense. Uh, I, I love that. I love and so, that. That's, that's and I've done a similar thing and it's kind of funny to like, pick that hourly mark um, because it sounds crazy. Like I, my mom will get mad at me. She'll come to my house and then she'll see the way I'm living. And she's like, 
oh my God, like this, this bill is late. They're going to, there's a $75 fee if you don't do it. And I'm like, I'm not calling them and they can charge me the $75 fee. They could charge it to me 10 times. Like I'm not going to use this hour. Like, and I'll tell her like, look, literally my hourly rate is X, right? It's X thousands of dollars. So, so are you, that's my hourly rate. So I'm not going to trade that hour to go do this thing I don't enjoy. Um, Cause her other argument is, well, you go watch TV. And I'm like, well, that I enjoy. So that, that I'm, I'm actually spending the money. Um, but Sam, I know you're a little bit different. Like when I went to go visit Sam in Austin, he had like CVS receipts that he had been saving in his like glove compartment of his super fancy car. Uh, like he's a dichotomy, right? He's got, he's got well, the money, he likes to spend some things, but he's also enjoys being frugal. That, it's like that a fun makes hobby. Me, yeah, that makes me feel good about myself. Right. Like, yeah, you, uh, I guess the question I had for you is, do you also have an hourly rate? Do you, do you think about that or you don't do that, that framework? Sam, this is for you. Oh, for me? Um, yeah, I have that framework. Yeah. So like, uh, yeah, I mean, it makes me feel good not to waste stuff. Like I feel good about myself and I feel guilty if I waste it. So I feel, I feel happy when I do that. And I feel it's hard for me to go to bed at night if I, if I waste something or I don't return it. Um, yeah, I have that hour. I mean, I mean, I have that rate. Like I just assume that I'm going to make, um, I assume that I'm going to make $3 million a year. So whatever that hourly rate is, but I, I think I'm going to make $3 million a year. And um, anything that like will make less than that, I don't want to do it. But that said, like mowing the lawn, I get joy from that. So I have yeah. no problem. I don't like put a money thing on anything. But like if someone's like, hey, will you... Uh, in fact, Sean, someone asked us to fly to London to come speak at some event or something. And I, um, I'll forward it to you. But they're like, yeah, it's October. And I'm like, I don't want to go there. I'm like, how much money would they have to pay me to go and do this? I'm like, they have to pay me a lot. Like, right. Cause you also six, hate flying. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, I just don't, it just, that just is a pay. They'd have to pay me a hundred thousand dollars to do that. And like, that does not make any sense, but right. I just hate, I just hate it. And uh, so Darmesh, a couple more uh, rich guy questions. And we <laughs> like these because honestly, um, you never get to ask these, even if we were just hanging out personally, I could never ask you these. But for the, for some reason with the podcast, it's like sort of okay for me to just like ask you random and, questions like this. And I told him I, when he wanted to come on or I, I asked him to come on, I go, I'm going to ask you this stuff. And, I, and we gave him an easy out. I said, if you don't want to answer anything, just say you don't want to answer it. But, <laughs> and, and I'm sort of projecting here where... Um, you know, uh, I guess like I, I think I put myself in your shoes. What if I had more money than I could ever spend? What would I do? And so my question to you is um, what, whether you did it or didn't, or you just considered it, what's a sort of outlandish use of funds that you've either considered or done? Like, so for example, you know, some people are like, yeah, you know, like some people like jets. That's not, uh, I'm not buying a private jet. I'm, but what I really care about is I love this sock. So I bought every, I love Jordan's sneakers. So I bought every pair of Jordans. And I have this closet in my house, just full of these things. Cause I always wanted it when I was a kid. Right. Or you know, they overspend in some area and they, they're just happy to have done it. Or yeah. like, um, it could be like philanthropic. Like, I think if I had a billion dollars, um, I think like two days a year, I would just wire somebody like a million dollars. I would literally just wire a random person a million dollars and I would just see how that plays out. And I think it would bring me like tons of joy and entertainment God. to do that and see how they react and what happens and what do they do, what do they do with it? Like maybe some kid who's working on something interesting, I would just be like, look, here, what, check your account. It's there. Um, so, you know, so, so give me something that, ha- is there anything that's sort of non-standard that you either have done or considered doing? Yeah, the thing that I, I do is I like those kind of, um, kind of micro acts of kind of spontaneity that says, oh, like someone is wants to go to this event or something like that and can't afford it or whatever. It's like, I'll be a sponsor. Like if you can find people that want to do this, uh, they'll do this. Um, I'll do that relatively regularly. Um, I've taken this <laughs> the sound. Uh, so I've taken my average tip amount up um, to between 50 and 100 um, percent. 
um, everywhere I go. And this is partly because I want to make up for all the time when I was younger that <laughs> my family did not tip well. So I'm right. trying to uh, average it out. And that's uh, as long as I can do it without like drawing too much attention because I don't want to be that weirdo guy. It's like, okay, no, like right. send sometimes the wrong signals. So I want to do it. Um, I do that, by the way. Modesty. Um, it's okay. It's just. Uh, I typically tip 50%. It makes me feel good. Yeah. Um, it's, 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 yeah. Uh, and I've worked in the service industry before I know that. You know, those kinds of things matter. Um, so I'm a cheap bastard, but, so I'll stay silent here. In terms of like you know large things, so philanthropy, yeah, the, the running joke inside the house is uh, my wife and I, and so she's not from the tech world at all, but uh, so I'm really, so I want to like own the world and she wants to save it, right? Like she, so uh, I will make the money. Yeah, that's something I've uh, been relatively good at and she will be able to channel it to good causes and, and the film for Apple efforts. So she'll be able to do that. Um, so I don't have any like particular specific things. Um, I will say like I am a, so I'm the guy that's like jacked with the matrix. So if, if there was a, a world, it's like, oh, it's like, this is, um, you know, like I, I live a virtual world. So there's no, not a lot of physical things uh, that I crave or desire other than a piano, which I've wanted for a while and I have now a piano. Uh, but it, it doesn't excite me all that much, right? It's like, it's, and because atoms, there's a maintenance to atoms, right? Like atoms versus bits. Like if you have it, whether it's a yacht or whatever it is, a plane, like that takes calories. I could take, I don't care how much you've delegated or whatever. That's something in your life that's kind of attached to you somehow. And I, I just don't like that. I don't like that idea. It feels more weighty to me than uh, kind of joyful. But so. so speaking of time, we, um, so HubSpot, 15 years old. I, I don't know how many people are here, 2,500, 3,000, whatever. Um, it seems like you guys like grew pretty fast early on, but it, has it always felt like a grind or I mean like when I when I see you I'm like well you don't have to do this um like you could delegate this you don't have to work here you're set you're good why are you still doing this and does it still feel like a grind and when has it stopped feeling like a grind one of the reasons why I wanted to sell to you um I was like if I don't sell like in this cycle I'll probably have to wait another five years Mm -hmm. am I do I want to put that work in or do I want to sell now like what like that's a hard challenge did you face that and just walk me through that so a couple of things. Um, it's not widely known, but um, so Brian and I as co-founders, we had um, a kind of heart-to-heart co-founder chat, which I uh, encourage all founders to have. And we had this list of questions we're going to go through. And I've published this on my uh, on, on my own startups blog. But one of the things was around um, you know, who's going to be CEO. And we decided he's going to be CEO because I suck at being CEO. I, I, you know, I did that with my first startup for 10 years. I'm just not that good at it. So that was kind of decision one. But decision two, which is much um, much more unconventional, is that I have uh, no direct reports. So when my agreement with Brian was I'm not going to have any management responsibilities in this company. I'm going to be in it 100%, but I'm not a good manager. Now, I'm a reasonably smart guy. If I spent a bunch of time, I could probably, with some coaching, get passably okay at management. Like I, I think I could get there. I don't want to spend 10, 20, 30 years of my life getting passively good at something. I'm a big believer in take your strengths, whatever they are, and put like all your energy into kind of amplifying those strengths and getting really, really good at that thing. And don't worry about your weaknesses all that much. So I don't want to, don't want to worry about my weakness in managing people. And so we have over 4,000 people at HubSpot. I have zero direct reports. I've never had direct reports in the 15 years. Uh, and that is partly what makes it much, I don't think of it as a grind at all. Uh, like I, it's completely discretionary and optional for me. Uh, obviously I have a lot of uh, kind of vested interest in the company, but in terms of the work that I do, and I've sort of whittled down my life at HubSpot, um, this has been the, this way for a better part of a decade, um, is, is I, I get it down to like three things I'm going to work on and that I will change those every few years. Um, so uh, for a long time, it was like brand, 
uh, culture and what I call boldness, which is, is the organization taking on enough risk? Because the temptation is always like, once you start having customers and revenues are growing, things like that is just to kind of what we call drag the spreadsheets. Like, oh, like here are the numbers, this is how it's growing. We're just gonna drag the spreadsheet and the numbers will flow basically. Um, is to push the organization so we don't do that. Um, so what I do is I will maniacally focus on whatever those three things are and say no to pretty much everything else. And, and things will swap in and out. So I've had you know, product in there, I've had platform in there, um, but on that thing, whatever it is I'm working on. So when I had culture on my list, it's like I spent 300 hours you know, in the, on the culture code deck at HubSpot. Like just, I'm going to uh, do everything I can to learn everything I can to try and get culture to be a, a thing at HubSpot. Um, and yeah, so it's, I, I find it enjoyable. I get to kind of pick the things. So my three things are different, um, you know, from year to year. Uh, I like to dig into the details. I don't like kind of floating at 50,000 feet and lofty ivory towers. I like to like, if I'm going to work on brand, I'm in there with the marketing team, like reviewing copy and uh, going through the, and this is why I'm taking Sean's uh, copywriting part. Like I, I obsess over details. Um, so anyway, yeah. Did you see, Sean, that he's in your power writing course? Yeah, I saw that. I was like, how does this guy have time to do this? This is amazing. I, I don't know. The, well, have you attended, he, how's it been so far? He talks <laughs> to me all the time. That's why I'm like, what do you do all day? Um, I, I found it very useful. I'll say that. It's, uh, and I think copywriting overall is one of the most underrated skills uh, in entrepreneurship generally. Like if people do not realize the amount of leverage you get by just spending 10, 20, 50 hours and you can learn a lot of what you need just by like reading the top three books on it and just practicing the craft, right? It's uh, and it's a doable thing. And the nice thing about it, and one of the things I love about it, it's like measurable. You can objectively measure whether you got better at copywriting or not. You can look at your conversion rates, so whatever numbers you're trying to to move as a result of your words. Uh, and it's a it's a learnable skill. Um, that's yeah. One more question, and we can move on. But when and the reason why you were able to do those no direct reports is I think that you were the first investor, and in, so like. Was this was HubSpot your idea or was it Brian's idea? But I think you invested like half a million dollars of your own money to like get it started. And yep. aren't aren't you the largest shareholder of the company? I am. Um, and so, so the idea of HubSpot is that you have to decouple the two things. Um, so HubSpot was not supposed to happen. And here's what I mean by that: when I sold my last company, you know, I had been running it for ten hours, uh, ten years, and working the proverbial entrepreneurial hours as as one would expect, right? It was self funded, uh, bootstrapped. And I promised my wife um, that I would not do another startup. It's like, okay, well, you know, the one I'm doing, I'm in. I can't not be in. Uh, the analogy, um, you know, I use is it's a little bit like being at um, like a, a gaming table in Las Vegas, right? And it's like, and you don't know the rules of the game. This is how startup entrepreneurship works if you're, if you're self-funded. It's like you're at the table and the only real feedback you get is like sometimes the chips go down, sometimes they go up. You're playing, you're trying to figure out the rules as you go, you don't know. But there's one like cardinal rule is that if you leave the table, whatever chips you have on the table, they're gone. Every now and then the house will come up to you and say, hey, would you like to cash in your chips? They're worth X dollars. And this is the position you were in. So I was like, okay, would you like to sell your company? Here's what someone's willing to pay for it. And if you miss that opportunity, you have no idea when the next opportunity to cash out your chips. And, like, and so you keep playing, right? It's like, and so the thing I told my wife is like, I have to keep playing. I did like, if, if I chose to get off the table, it's like, yeah, I have a lot of vested into this. 100% of our net worth is invested in this. Um, and so then eventually when I sold, um, that was a decision. It's like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm leaving the table, cashing in my chips. I don't have to do this anymore. So that's why I went to grad school. And my plan was go to grad school. Um, so I didn't really get a chance to uh, enjoy undergrad because I was working the whole time through. And I'm going to like actually go to grad school, be a real student, 
apply myself and not could do anything. I'm how how old are you? I was 35, 36, somewhere in that range. Um, yep. So, so a thir- like a 36-year-old college kid living yeah, the dream. Yeah, I did. It was, I had a great time. It was awesome. Uh, one of the best things I did um, is, is go back to grad school for a variety of reasons. But anyway, so I had not planned on that. So my, my plan was go to grad school, then maybe get like a PhD and then go teach. That was my kind of path, uh, my kind of chosen path. Uh, and then I met Brian in grad school. And we both have this kind of shared passion for SMB. We both come from tech, different backgrounds. And so the first decision we made uh, before we even decided what HubSpot was going to be was that the two of us should do a company together. And if like Brian was not going to do a company, there would be no HubSpot, right? Like I, so I had registered the domain name. I had kind of noodled on kind of variety of things, but then we kind of came together and said, let's do this. And by the way, all through grad school, um, we were noodling on ideas, right? We we're like, okay, well, we'll do this. And we had HubSpot. We went to the, the business plan competition, wrote a business plan for early versions of HubSpot, which is fun to look at. Um, but the idea came after, like we had kind of narrowed it down to two companies, uh, two past one was in marketing, which is what we ended up doing. The other one was like a Oracle for small business, like an ERP, uh, similar to NetSuite, which you folks were talking about in the last episode. Uh, all right, so let's do some ideas because I think you know one of the cool things. Uh, what I love about any technically minded person uh, who has business success is typically when when people who are non technical get into business, they go in one of two paths. They um, you know sort of become a financier. They're like, great, still love business, but I don't want to sweat anymore, so I'll invest. And uh, and lots of people invest, but they make investing the main thing. And um, what I found is that a lot of people who are technical that end up being successful. Um, they never stop loving kind of what's new, what, where technology is going, how behaviors are changing, that sort of thing. And whether they start a new company or not, um, they sort of live as a user at the edge. Yeah. And so um, so tell me, like, I guess what's what give me one or two kind of technologies or ideas right now, spaces that are most exciting to you at the moment? Uh, two. One is around kind of broadly defined cryptocurrency, um, and we haven't talked about BitCloud yet, but I'll bring that out, is a cryptocurrencies as applied to other kind of mainstream things. So the, the I, if I were not doing HubSpot, in which I have no plans of doing anything else, but um, this is the idea. I'll, I'll, I'm going I'm to give you my pitch, Sean. Yeah. What you should do, since now you're out of Twitch, um, <laughs> is you should do a professional network um, that's powered by the blockchain that I'm going to say this as kindly as that uh, people love um, because if people don't love the incumbent can, right can, now. Can I, can I say my opinion? I'm sure. asking, you know, yeah. you know, my opinion. Can you cool if I say it? Yeah, yeah, yeah go ahead. LinkedIn sucks. Uh, <laughs> a, how about this? A lot of people say LinkedIn sucks <laughs> and um, you're suggesting build a, building a, a different one um, on the okay, blockchain. So, yeah, yeah, let's catch it out. So, yeah. okay, so, so here, here's what I'm saying. Here's yeah. what, I even have a seven-figure domain name picked out for you. I will okay. write the $5 million check for you to go do it as far as a seed round, uh, or up to $5 million if you want to let other people oh, in. Shit. That's amazing. This just got uh, spicy. Okay. Oh, yeah. my God. What's the domain <laughs> name that you have? I, I, am, I am dead serious. I have... Uh, and you, yeah, um, so, and here, here's why it needs to Wait, exist. let's play okay. this out. Yeah, keep going. So, the issue right now is that, you know, LinkedIn... Yes, people don't like it. It, w- it was a product that was great for its time, uh, and times have changed now. There's a different kind of need. And the thing I'm excited about is the intersection of a, a couple of things. One is, um, you know, we didn't have things like BitCloud or a cryptocurrency before. Now we do, right? One of the issues uh, with LinkedIn is like, okay, well, you've got the kind of spam issue. You've got all this like, okay, well, how do I separate all the noise from the signal? It's just, it's just a pain in the ass. Over time, right. the asymptotic move for LinkedIn is like diminishing utility, right? It's like, it's just going to become painful. And it's just, then there's, 
there's a cap on where you can go with it. So imagine uh, that you, so BitCloud ended up doing Twitter with the blockchain. Uh, imagine if there was something else that did LinkedIn on the blockchain and you have your own kind of currency and then you could say, hey, you know what? I'm, a free, I'm an engineer that's a free agent or whatever. And for $500, I will look at your company and apply for it. And I'll do a, a reasonably good job. Or for $10, I'll open your email. Or for X, I'll do this. It's like, okay, there's a... Right now, and, the market and there's, is a, there's an inherent. Uh, so the thing, the cool thing about BitCloud is everybody's got a, a price, right? Everybody's got yeah. every coin has a certain value, and so yeah. the beauty of uh, of a professional one would be right now when you go on LinkedIn, um, it is not obvious the level of hierarchy, right? And so you always have people who are uh, either recruiters or people who are at the bottom of the career ladder trying to keep connecting and reaching out to the people at the top of the career ladder, and they have no real incentive to 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 do it. And so they just sort of ignore LinkedIn altogether. Why would yep. I even go to this site? I'm just going to get inundated with crap that I don't yep. really want. And so the beauty of this is that because everybody has a coin value, you sort of inherently have baked in the sort of like career worth, career value that this person is bringing to the table into the network. And so you know, um, A, somebody has a way to buy attention. So they buy your coin, which increases your price. So it's a mutual beneficialness right now. If I go pay LinkedIn, I can send you spam in mail. You do not receive any of the revenue from me paying LinkedIn for the right to spam you. Right. In this case, I could say, hey, if you want to spam me, if you want me to read your thing and you want me to, to respond to it, here's my prices. Yeah. Uh, so it becomes revenue generating for me. And the second thing is that when somebody reaches out, I can quickly assess their value in the network based on how, how much other people believe in this person, how much other people weight this person. Sure. And so now it's not this kind of like every node kind of looks the same on the surface. No, they would not look the same on the surface, which is really cool. Correct. And just one more thing. Yeah. So yes. So that there's a kind of crypto angle where everyone's got a price. The other angle is, um, is we'll, we'll call it page rank for the professional graph, right? So right now the professional oh, graph, that's cool. including Twitter, it's all, uh, it's all symmetric, right? So every person you follow gets an equal number of follow value, whatever, their count goes up by exactly one. It's not weighted in any single, uh, any, any way. You, you, uh, you got to explain page rank a little bit. Okay, so so the, the kind of the beauty behind Google, the original idea that made it um, the powerhouse it is today is they said, okay, well, how do we determine what the best set of results are to so, show for a, a keyword search, right? And, and it came down to two things. One is like the overall context of the page. So if you're searching for, uh, real estate Boston or something like that. It'll look at all the pages that's indexed. It's like, okay, well, this, these set of pages are about real estate in Boston to varying degrees. That's kind of factor one in, in the function. So the all, which, all, one, which people also just say good content. Yeah, exactly. We'll just call it quality, like the context. Quality fit. content. Yeah, which, which, is a whole, is which is a whole thing. Authority, right? And the authority is where PageRank comes in. So they say, okay, here's this individual web page that's sitting on the internet. We're going to measure its authority by how many links are coming into that page because that's a that's a endorsement of effect. and the value that those links pass to that individual page, the page rank value of it, the authority that gets passed through is based on the page rank of those pages, right? So it's a recursive function to say, oh, well, if the New York Times links to you, that's much more valuable than if Darmesh's blog links to you because New York Times has more page rank. Mm -hmm. Last piece of the page rank thing, which is super important to know, is that the amount of page rank you pass across the links from your page are proportional to your page rank. So let's say I have two units of page rank, I'm making the number up. And if I link to just one person, it's your blog, Sam, all the page rank I have on that page accrues to you by transference. If I link to 10 mm -hmm. different people, it gets distributed across those 10 links. Yeah. Right? So it's a weighted graph versus just a symmetrical graph where we're not. So now if you imagine a professional network graph where everything was graphed, it's like, okay, well, you know, I endorse Sam and I have a certain authority. I have a certain currency. If we've got a cryptocurrency underneath it, 
as a result of which Sam's currency goes up by X amount. So it's not just me buying shares, it's just by that. So I think the, the notion of a follow should go away. It's like, if you really, really like that person, buy a dollar, buy $5 or something like that, right? Like right. That's, that's the one kind of- So, so what you're saying is, just to make sure I understand. So what you were saying is, instead of just following Sam, which you have an infinite supply and um, yep. you know, sort of is, is a pretty light signal, you're yep. saying, in, in this case, you would be able to own some of Sam's coin. That'd be a pretty strong endorsement. And yep. secondly, the fact that your coin is worth a lot would mean yep. that because you, a valuable person, own yep. Sam's coin, Sam's yep. coin goes up not just by the $5 you paid, but by some multiple of that in terms of the overall al algorithm, the way the algorithm weights Sam's value now. Correct. So and for instance, if you raise money, if you're a startup and you raise money from uh, Andreessen or Sequoia, like a million dollars is not a million dollars. What yeah, it comes exactly. from is actually has an impact. The same thing, like, you know, follow should matter. The fact that, you know, that you follow me should matter more than someone that doesn't, hasn't, that just joined Twitter or BitCloud or whatever yesterday, right? Like that's the, doesn't make this any sense. A, this is a tremendous idea. I'm having trouble containing myself at the moment. This is, okay. this is one of the more exciting ideas because people I'm know I got exactly what I came here for is to put you on the spot. To, and it was like, okay, listen to this idea. Sean. That's insane. You know, because I got excited about BitCloud and I got excited about it because I think that we do want a, 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 a social network that's inverted. So instead of one platform controlled by one company that owns all the data, it's inverted, it's inside out. It's yep. basically no company, uh, all the data is free and you own yep. you own your own business on top of it. Cool. Um, and so I think that, you know, I don't wanna say, how do I say decentralized without saying decentralized? That's my way yep. of saying it, okay? Yep. So I think that's exciting. And then a whole bunch of people were like, I can't believe you're endorsing this scam project and blah, 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 blah. And is this, is this gonna make me rich or is this not gonna make me rich? And I was sort of like, well, it's besides the point, it might, but uh, it's besides the point, um, it's more like, this is what the the next Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebooks are going to look like yeah. um, in either one or 10 years. I'm not sure. And in BitCloud or the next thing, I'm not sure. But I'm going to play with this one and I'm going to like give it a ride so that yeah. when the right one does arrive, whether it's this one or the next one, I've, I've know, I know what I'm looking at. I know what's real and what's not. And I, that's why I recommended people go play with it just to see, um, yeah. just, just to be on the forefront of it. You... Something like it needs to exist, right? Whether it'll be the one or not, I don't know. And so I've been spending a fair amount of calories trying to kind of understand the mechanics uh, of BitCloud itself. Um, and How I'm much money did you create on uh... the uh, top creators uh, lists? So I've been kind of moving up the up the curve, so to speak. I love it. So, yeah. Dude, the thing about how much have you put into BitCloud? Uh, it's got to be a million dollars. Over a million dollars, yeah. I man, the thing that pissed me off about BitCloud was I got into this like. I had I didn't get into it because I had to I, I knew I was gonna get into this thing I'm about to say, but I, I was getting to I wanted to get into a pissing match real fast about building clout and because there was money on the line and yeah, I just I was like, oh I I don't want to actually want to get in this race. Um yeah. I don't want to play that game. And <laughs> I, that so that I, I kinda had a little like I one part of me is I actually fundamentally agree with most everything you're saying. On the other part, I'm like, oh, if this exists, I'm gonna be getting in a lot of like pissing matches or whatever, and I'm going to be playing more games. And that kind of freaks me out a little bit. Yeah, I mean, and this is one of the issues with BitCloud right now, right? You have a bunch of like founder rewards games and things like that. And this is this is what happens. This is why we can't have nice things, uh, partly, right? <laughs> it's like anytime something new comes along, there will be people that are trying to game the system, whatever. So even back in the early days of Google, it's like the internet wasn't a scam and Google wasn't a scam, but there were a bunch of people trying to scam Google to kind of show up in the results and doing kind of spammy SEO kind of stuff, you see the same thing on BitCloud, right? And you have to sort of kind of separate that from the platform. It's like, okay, fundamentally, the idea does not feel like a scam to me. Yes, they needed to open it up and have it listed on exchange so you can actually take money out, you know, minor details, but um, it, 
but they're fixing those. And I talked to the uh, to the founder, like in like one of the few calls I, I've had in the last twelve months because I don't do phone calls. Um, but it feels legit to me. And that's not to say it's going to succeed, but it's I'm relatively confident it's not a scam. Mm-hmm. That is that, that is reason for being is not a scam. So one of the things that happens with like a Google or a Facebook is, you know, uh, like you said, there's a big honeypot either of users or money on the line. And so then you get good people excited about it. You get technology excited about it, but you also get these sort of scammers and not even scammers, but I'll call them schemers. People who are not doing anything illegal, but they're thinking, oh, this is a game. How do I play it so that I get the highest score? And the score is either yep. money or followers or whatever they're trying to game. Yep. And uh, whether this is like, you know, BuzzFeed and Upworthy saying, oh, Newsfeed, how do I game Newsfeed to get all this monthly traffic? Or, you know, um, Zynga doing this with games on, on Facebook or whatever. Yep. Um, with a company, you sort of have the like, you know, for as much as people hate that Facebook and Google can sort of censor and pull the rug out from under you, uh, they are able to like swat down these schemers and scammers so that, um, you know, they don't ruin the experience for everybody. And one thing that's interesting with decentralized platforms is that there's nobody in, there's no CEO, there's nobody in charge to to do that. And so I I think it's gonna be very interesting how that plays out. Do you have a sense of if that's going to be a problem or do you think that there's a solution to that with the, the governance? I'm a believer in kind of self-governance over time. Like, and it all depends on the time horizon. Will it fix itself in a year or two years? Maybe not. I think there's still going to be these kind of dark parts of uh, BitClap that um, people don't want to tread into. But over time, I think um, once BitClap kind of figures out what it wants to be when it grows up, um, in terms of like what's the actual, right now, you know, the way I think of it is like the, the kind of Twitter use case is just a way to kind of prove out the protocol. It just so happens they picked that one. They could have picked any number of other ones. Um, but as people kind of build real things using that underlying kind of technology, because it's um, an open protocol, I think things will settle down. People will find a way that they can implement use cases that concretely solve a particular problem and stay away from some of the kind of dark issues right now, which is, yeah. Um, What's the name that you bought? For, for Sean? You said you bought a, <laughs> a seven-figure domain name for I, this idea. I have one in... I'm in the midst of negotiating the price on it. So I'm not going to reveal it. Uh, uh, I don't want to be outbid. How many, how many letters is it? Seven. Hmm. Okay. I'll be very, very curious to hear what, the, what, um, what this is going to be. You, you had said two spaces. So one, one is the crypto, crypto social network. Yeah. Uh, what was the other space you're excited about? The other one uh, is, so broadly defined, uh, natural language processing uh, in terms of, okay, so let me, I'll do a, try to keep this a, a quick rant. So every software company that ever was has always said, our product is intuitive and easy to use. Like, okay, well, and the reality is every one of them lies because here's what happens in order for a human to use software. It's like, here's the thing I want to do. And I have some amount of training and things, whatever. And I'm going to translate the thing, my intent. I'm going to translate into a series of drags and clicks and swipes and touches to make the software do the thing I intended to do, Right. Now imagine uh, if you know if I were Elon, I'd be like, okay, well you should just be able to think the thought. But let's put that aside for now. Let's just say you were like you're in Photoshop. It's like I want to remove the background. You should just be able to say, well, I want to remove the background. If you're in HubSpot, you should. I want. You should, it's like you know how many new people signed up for our service hub product in the last ninety days. You should just be able to type that question in because that's your intent. Not like oh, go to HubSpot's reporting tool, build this dashboard, pull in, here are the three columns you want, whatever, and get to the thing you want. You should just be able to say the thing you want, express the thing you want, is a better way to state it, and the software should figure it out. Like we have the technology now on the language side to be able to understand natural language, human English um, and other languages, and all we really need is a translation layer. And so this is a broad-based, in my mind, um, 
a mega trend to be, which is, in my mind, bigger than mobile. So mobile was a, oh, we're good. The, the thing that mobile added for us, which is like, oh, well, the thing that you used to do on your desktop, now you can do it from anywhere and enabled a bunch of different use cases. This thing is like, okay, well, the thing that you know, you, you've been trying to learn, you're trying to use this software, whatever, that you never really got good at, you never had the time. Now, like a billion people can use that piece of software that wasn't even possible before because they don't have to learn the clicks and drags and things. They can express the thing they want and the software can do it. And then what I would do if I were an enterprising VC is I was like, okay, let's so pick the categories where this thing will have the biggest impact, uh, like you know, business intelligence reporting kind of stuff. B2B software is a natural fit, uh, but I think can go elsewhere. Yeah, and, uh, and we've seen the beginnings of this on the consumer side with things like Alexa, but like the B2B world, I think is open for just make the software actually intuitive. Um, they could do what right. I want. Um, have you seen anyone besides, I was going to say, besides Alexa, have you seen any hints of what I call a magic trick? It's when you see somebody build a piece of software and then they're like, yeah, so you just do X, Y, Z and boom, it's done. And you're like, holy shit, you got that, you know, you, you just wove your magic wand and got that. And it's like, when you see a magic trick, you, it's very hard to unsee and you kind of can't look at the old software the same way anymore. It's like Instagram filters or something like that. It's like, oh, wait, your photo looks like that? Oh yeah. shit. Okay. Well now all my photos in my camera look like shit in comparison. Like I can't even look at these anymore. Um, so have you seen any cool magic tricks with conversational uh, or, or natural language close processing? I, close that I've gotten. So I, I, Built something myself called GrowthBot uh, a few years ago. That was ah, a, I remember that. I remember GrowthBot. You could type, and it was for it was built for marketers to be able to get marketing data out, both of your kind of marketing systems, something like a HubSpot or a Mailchimp, but also just other data sources. Like, oh, what are the top three keywords that Uber buys on PPC? Like that data is out there, right? Like we right. wouldn't know to kind of ask that. And so, uh, or like, when was this domain registered? Or like just a bunch of and I, I would go through every night and look at all the questions people asked of this thing because it was a blank canvas. They had no idea what the thing was capable of. And then I would go back and it's like, okay, well, here are the repeating patterns. Wouldn't it be nice if I could go update the software to kind of do that thing? So that's, it came close. It was, I think, a little early. I think we're further along now. People are more used to that notion right. um, of being able to express it. Uh, Dude, that's so funny that you do this. I'm, I'm looking at the growth. I, I remember GrowthBot. Uh, like people were sharing it. And I just, you just made this. Did you, so you just, whipped up this landing page and, and you made this? I made the whole thing, yeah. Like I spent a bunch of like time just learning about what's possible, coded the whole thing myself. Um, God, that's so funny. Can you... um? Gosh, this is so funny. Uh, you see that, Sean? Yeah, yeah, I'm on it. It's great, right? Like it, it, it's just cool that you do this stuff. And, and you have... Uh, with an, like everything you do is kind of related to HubSpot, right? It's all in the same world. You also like... Well, you're you were it seems like you're really into website graders is that right that business of web so i was talking to a heat and shot the other day heat and yep. shot um um Kiss started tricks he did everything he's, he's startup nira yeah, yeah uh nira he's got uh which I, crazy uh, egg Kiss crazy Patrick. egg uh yeah. quick sprout all types of shit i mean he's like you he just fucking has his hands and everything but he uh and his partner neil have neilpatel.com slash Uber suggests, and then they also had neilpatel.com slash like rate your website or something like that. Yep. Why are you so into these website rating businesses and products? What what the hell is going on with that? So I'm, I'm into... So the original thing was called Website Grader. Um, it's actually a, a funny story. So back when we first started HubSpot, uh, it was just Brian, my co-founder and I, and we would go look at people's websites and to see if they would be a good fit for HubSpot the software or not, right? And so we would go and I would look at their, like I'd do a view source in Chrome and then look at their source codes. Like, okay, do these, they, 
Do they have the right meta tags? Do they seem clueful, right? You can, there's a bunch of signals you can look at look Alexa ranking, stuff that you do, you folks do all day long right now when you research companies. Like, um, like a like a similar web type of thing. Yeah, yeah. And this is you know 15 years ago. And so we so I it's like, okay, well, when we were all doing it, we were doing it manually, there were no tools. So it's like, okay, so I built something so that's what I do. It's like, oh, I'm gonna write this tool that does the automatically goes, looks and things the APIs. We'll bring down the source code for the HTML and see if there, the tags are right and kind of give it, a, um, for us, give it a score. And then I had this, had not planned it this way, was you know, built as a tool for just the two of us. Um, and it's like, oh, I'm going to put this on the web because I think this is useful. And so like, okay, well, what name can I give it? Well, it grades website. I'm going to call it websitegrader.com. The domain was available <laughs> this was, you know, 50 years ago. Um, and so I, I put that out there and it, like it was on fire. Like that, like all the early leads, like tens of thousands of people, right? Would and and then we like so they had a desire to kind of grade their website. And so for your list for the listening audience, one thing I will say is um the power of building a diagnostic tool for your industry is immense, right? This is the thing that so website grader was not the solution. So it's not like a freemium thing, it's like, oh, we're giving you a lightweight version of HubSpot. It was a thing that made you realize you needed HubSpot. And that was super valuable. And that can be done in any industry, whether you're in software or not. It's like, okay, I'm going to help you determine whether you have a problem or not. Because the natural thing when you do a website, it's like, oh, I got a 23 out of 100. That sucks. Right. I can help. Like, here's what we do. Um, or even just like read these blog posts. I mean, you can watch these videos. Uh, it's, so it's, it's work. So I'm obsessed with kind of grading and, and assessment. Um, and you folks, you guys had a, an episode, probably 10, 20 episodes ago, um, around like quizzes and things like that. So one thing people yeah. are, so if you do build a uh, diagnostic tool, the one thing, and this is, uh, I've learned several lessons, but one of the key ones is that relative scores work. So website grader from its early days, like, okay, so if I give you an 87, what that 87 actually means is that whatever calculations we're doing behind the scenes, this particular score, you graded better than 87, 87% of the 800,000 or whatever the number was websites we've graded. People love that. It's like, oh, that just that kind of relative score versus an absolute one makes a big difference. A percentile score matters a lot to people. It's like, oh, right. Like, I suck. I'm in the bottom 10% or the top 10%. I'm, I'm awesome. But anyway. Are you, uh, Sean, do you see his list of ideas? Let's just start banging them out. I want to, I, well, I hold, like hold it. On. So this is two things. So first, I think the thing you just described is like a, a growth hack without saying, uh, yeah, I did it to a growth hack. You like solved your own itch. But like, that's such a... We've talked about it for quizzes, quizzes, same thing, lead gen. This is an amazing lead gen tool where you basically got a bunch of qualified leads, uh, yeah. people who self, you know, they self assess, I ha might have a problem, they go get it checked up. Your digital doctor said, yep, you indeed do have a problem. And then all you had to do is prescribe a solution called HubSpot, you know, here's a HubSpot in a little bottle for you. Yeah, and I would tell you how clueless I was back then. So I put this thing up there. Um, and at the time, uh, we we had a meeting set up with Gail Goodman, who was the CEO of Constant Contact at that time, and she later joined the HubSpot board. But we met with her. We're like, oh, we're working on this company called HubSpot. It's kind of related to the Constant Contact space. Um, and we want to get her advice. And I showed her website graders. Like, oh, here's what we do, and we can kind of look at websites, whatever. And and and, and she loved it. And then she says, you know, you might consider putting like an email address box on because we, we had no way of knowing who these right. people were. They were not they were not leads for us. We had. Like a hundred thousand people like use the right. tool. Unintentional growth hack. I had never thought to collect an email address. Like, oh, wouldn't it be nice to? Anyway, we obviously <laughs> fixed that, uh, but. So I like that. And then also for this uh, conversational thing, I think what you just said, like we kind of, it's kind of like sometimes guests on this podcast say something in passing that I'm like, whoa, 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 that's actually a really big idea. Uh, and I think you actually said two. I think the, the crypto uh, LinkedIn one is a big idea. And I think the second one is this idea that 
if you think about one of the biggest and what pe some people say is the best business they've ever seen is Google, right? People come in there, it's just a, a search box, it's a magic genie, and you go yeah. ask a question and it tries to give you some answers. Yeah. And um, the way I view this is if somebody could actually do this, this is sort of like next level Google where uh, I ask it any question and it, it doesn't just give me like a list of pages where the answer might be. It's like it actually gives me the answer. And so um, this might be, you know, in the business context, it might be like a business Google, but there, there's many versions of this. I, I don't know if you've seen this. Have you ever seen uh, Dbuild? Have you ever checked out this website? Yeah, we talked about Dbuild. So my we? friend Sharif, uh, this is a perfect example of a magic trick thing. He um, was messing around with GPT-3. So GPT-3, new technology comes out. He gets access right away, mm. drops his whole startup, starts yep. just hacking on this thing at night, right? And uh, he throws up this, he has this idea of like, dude, uh, you know, Squarespace, Wix, these website builders have been around forever. Um, great, everybody wants to be able to code without having to code. But like, even now, it's still so complicated, even after Webflow, after all this stuff. And um, so he's like, why can't you just describe like, you know, I want a website that's got like kind of like two columns and on the left, I want pictures of like places you can stay. And on the right, I want the price of the of the thing. And yeah. you could literally just type that in and it'll build you a website that looks like Airbnb. It'll, like it'll build well, you he, a website he, that does that. And yeah. he posted on Twitter a GIF. Mm -hmm. He's like, you know, I'm messing around with GPT-3 and watch this. Like, um, you know, build a website with a photo and then add a PayPal button, but then make it where the PayPal button can only take $5 uh, max and like, that's it. And then send, send the payments to this. And then it like spit out a website that was, that did that, like the HTML and the CSS that did that. Yeah. And uh, he posted that GIF. And I think off basically one tweet with one GIF, he raised like $2 million instantly from like really smart people when that tweet went viral. Cause they were like, Oh, you just showed me a magic trick. And uh, I don't know what the company is here. And I think he still yeah. doesn't know what the company is, but um Go go down this path and uh, see what you can find. It was yeah, pretty I, amazing. I, I remember when that tweet went live. I mean, I, I it it went viral right away. Yeah, right. I, I played with the GPT three. Um, played with it for a while across multiple things. It's it's like the closest thing to like magic that. In, in it's weird because it's it's kind of a different vector, right? It's because it originally is like a text generation mechanism to be able to write, you know, prose based on because it's got this corpus of, of data behind the scenes. Um, and it's, and, and I talked to, you know, Sal Maltman, the CEO of Ryan, I had a, he's gracious enough to give us some time to, it's like, okay, well, like, where is this headed? What's going on to see the kind of impacts on HubSpot um, in the world in general? And it's like, that's one of those things that I, right now, I don't think quite there to be able to uh, like implement like practical use cases to actually do the thing that uh, people are trying to do. And I'm, with it uh, on kind of multiple fronts but it's one of those that it's going to go from uh, as peter like from a zero to a one very very quickly it's like all of a sudden that wasn't really possible and didn't really quite work in, well enough and then it's gonna be like holy crap then there's like right. the uh kind of post gpt3 world what's that GPT3? phrase where it's like you know slowly slowly then all of a sudden or and something like that yeah, yeah. The, it exactly looks like it. it's gonna be that uh, Sam, you said you liked some of the ideas on this list or some of the topics. Let's just you know, go like, like, a little bit. We, we, we just talked about something huge. That was a huge idea. Let's talk about something small but still cool. So it looks like... Did you buy remoteculture.com? I did. Okay. So th th that's a no-brainer. There's a business that will make a million dollars a year. Remote culture, online community for those building remote cultures. Easy, right? Yep. That's a no-brainer. What would you do there? I, I would start a community uh, for remoteculture.com. This is, okay, I'm going to do a blog, I'm going to do a paid community, and it's going to be targeted at people ops and HR people around the world that need to kind of figure out the new kind of new world order, right? We're not going to try and sell them software. We're, not gonna, we're just going to connect them to each other. And, you've, and I'm a big 
big believer in these kind of communities and network-based businesses um, because they're efficient in terms of it doesn't take that much. You got to get the critical mass. That's fine. But um, I think this one would work. It's it's uh, it's a community that's necessary at this moment in time that hasn't existed because it hasn't needed to. Right. Now it does. Um, and I'm sure there's people out there doing it, but brand so help, money helps. You can actually build something. Yeah. There's one on here that I really like. Uh, speed round so yep. uh so uh, by the way this is these are what these are domains that like you don't so, have a so idea for a hack, by the way when i have like a an idea that's enough in my head that's like okay well this is kind of cool i don't like write it down in a notebook i go find a related <laughs> domain um it's like it costs 15 dollars if it hasn't been taken yet or right. or maybe i'll spend more if it's you know um something really kind of strikes my fancy what's what's the, the most expensive ideas um, what's the most expensive domain you own well um I haven't had them valued. I don't really sell domains. Uh, I own BirminghamAlabama.com because I live there. I think that's probably <laughs> the seven-figure uh, domain. I just bought Humanism.com and Humanism.org. For you my, also bought bought one for me. Bought one for you. I bought the Hustle.com for you as a, oh, as wow. a gift that I was going to give to you on the podcast. Uh, so, so I like, learned that you don't care about domain names all that much. No, like no, a, hold on. It's like a deal trophy, right? Uh, whenever you get acquired, they have this little trophy. I don't know, Sam. Did you know yeah. about this deal trophies? No, I want a deal trophy. So when we got acquired, they gave us like, uh, it took like a few months, but it was like, hey, uh, sorry, I meant to get this to you. Like, you know, when the deal closed, but I guess it's like in the deal making world, I'm not, I'm not like a mover and shaker of biz dev and like corp dev and things like that. But I guess it is sort of a tradition of when the deals close, it's sort of like the, 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 cha the champagne that what you do is you, you get sort of like a little ornament that has some meaning to the deal. Like in our case, our code name uh, was like project, whatever. And it was like, let's just call it uh, um, pro project sharp. It wasn't, we are, we, I think we were project H or something. And, and so then they got like this, like kind of like cool looking knife, uh, you know, cause it's like project sharp, whatever. Here's the, here's the, the deal trophy. So I think your deal trophy is this domain here. Well, yeah. and, and, and for the record, Darmesh, if you like gift that to the hustle company, we would love it. And I actually do like domain names. My whole point about domain names was, it's, it's okay, don't let it stop you. Ninety nine percent of people are not like you or not like me. Like we do shit. Like yeah. you, I, you're killing it, and you just made this little rinky ding project called Growthbot. Like that doesn't. We do shit. Ninety nine percent of people don't do shit, and they have stupid excuses like, "Well, I don't have the domain name. It's taken." Or I do have the domain name, therefore I should do that. My point yeah. is, don't let it stop you. But I still think it's sick and it's awesome, and I love it. Yeah. It's like I saying think... like. Just because you don't, just because you don't have a sick gym, doesn't mean you can't go out there and walk and lose weight. That's, that's, I think uh, you know, like Justin was on the podcast last time, and he was like, um, "There should be a dating app that matches you on like kind of your credit card spending history or something like that." Uh, for me, that's what it's like with this podcast, where it's like, if I just, if you just tell me how many domains you own that you actually you bought, but you you don't have like a live project on, if that number is you know greater than ten, uh, yeah. we're gonna be we're gonna be thick as thieves. And like, you know, how many tabs do you have open right now? If I just knew those two things, I can kind of tell you if this podcast is a fit for you or not if you're yep. somebody who owns zero domains then you yep. probably aren't gonna you know really connect with this podcast in a major way i don't think what i'd like i'm gonna pull a biology here as uh, i'm gonna push that conversation on stack but one thing i want to make sure i get out there because uh, it's on the list of things just we're talking about ideas um it's like how do you assess ideas how do you think about ideas i know sean you love frameworks uh, and you do too sam um here, here's a simple one um in terms of like assessing whether you're doing it for yourself or you're investing, whatever it is. And, and I'll tell you the common mistake. Um, so the three things I look at are kind of like profit potential. Like if this thing went exactly as planned as, as the founders envisioned, what could it be? Like, let's just assume all things, like all the stars align, everything works the way you expect it to. And, and it goes, what could it be? What's the overall potential for the project? Uh, 
what kind of like passion do you have around it? It's like, okay, are you excited about it or not excited about it? Um, and the third one is uh, around uh, probability of, of that success that you that you want, right? And I, I'm a quant-based guy, so I'll take each of those factors, I'll, right. I'll do a zero to 10 square and multiply them together and I'll get a score out of a thousand, right? And you can put the weighting differently. It's like, oh, I care more about passion than you know uh, the profit potential or something else. But the common mistake people make is that they will look at the probability of success first and almost exclusively as the high order bit filter. It's like, oh, I had this idea, but the likelihood is like 0.01% that that's actually going to work. And so I'm not even gonna think about what the potential could have been or, or how passionate I may or may not be about it. And then they just kind of discard the idea. I think that is statistically unwise and an impractical move. And here's why, is that the way you should be looking at ideas is you kind of take the profit potential, like here's the possible outcome, multiply this, it's, it's the EV, the expected value statistically of this thing. It's like, oh, I have a 1% chance at a billion dollars, the expected value is 1% of a billion dollars. That's the value of that particular thing. Um, and so you shouldn't discard something just because the probability is low because it may have a disproportionately high potential that makes it more interesting than it would otherwise. Um, so that's the, like be a little bit more structured about how you um, assess things. So people throw things away too easily because, uh, and, and the second note, I'll put in a hard one lessons, good ideas are dangerous. And they're dangerous because what you want to find are the great ideas. Uh, right? That's the thing you can kind of get behind. You don't have to find them before you start the company. We can talk about that. Um, so bad ideas are easy to spot. Like, that's just a bad idea. Good ideas masquerade as great ideas, and it's hard to tell them apart. And they're the ones that end up kind of spinning a bunch of cycles for you. And it's like, okay, well, it ended up being good, but just it's, um, yeah. Uh, failure is not a problem. Like mediocrity is the thing everybody should be fearful of. It's like, just get it out there, try it, see what happens. But uh, anyway. And but media, mediocrity is the, the big problem because it wastes the most valuable resource. It wastes time, right? Because it's not going to die quickly, nor is it going to take off. So it is a slow, long burn uh, at a mediocre level. And so you're sort of locking in over a period of time, a mediocre outcome. And that's yeah, why mediocrity that's, is the biggest risk. That I think the hardest about bootstrap companies, especially uh, tech companies that have a low kind of capital need, is they can actually live forever and not go anywhere, right? Because it doesn't take that much to, it's like, okay, you've got an AWS instance somewhere that's costing you, it's like, it doesn't really cost that much. Um, and you don't have investors pushing on you to say, oh, we need some sort of outcome. And so you can run that company indefinitely and waste a bunch of your time when the next idea that you could have done was sitting right behind it, right? Like I have, I've talked to hundreds of entrepreneurs by this point. I have never, ever in my entire life met an entrepreneur that had just one idea. It's like, oh, you will have more, dude. It's like, okay, right. and you know, try the thing, if you can sell the thing, sell the thing. If you're not that excited about it, or or you just want to cash out, take some chips off the table. There's uh, no harm and no shame. Uh, but yeah. Did you, did you? But you guys didn't raise a significant amount at HubSpot, did you? Uh, 105 million in oh. private money before it went public. Yeah, it's, oh. HubSpot's a classic venture-backed playbook company. It's like there's not, and, and intentionally so. It's, um, but that seems interesting to me because you don't seem you seem like a guy who likes freedom and. Um, knows that he's knows what he, he is like and he knows that he's a little a bootstrapper is what he's trying to yeah. say. Why, why didn't you bootstrap? Yeah. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you the exact conversation we had. So when Brian and I started this, one of the things we were firmly agreed on is that we didn't want, I'm not a baseball or a sports person, but like we didn't want a single or a double hit, right? Like we wanted to like swing for the fences and either this, we, we do this and we're going to, at every point that we have a decision to make a fork in the road, we are going to take the one that, gives us a higher chance of being the spectacular outcome, even if that means we're possibly going to go down and crash and burning flames, right? And so but was, was, was Brian, uh, was he successful like you were? Or was he, 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 was early? Like he didn't like need, 
he hadn't had like an exit because he was uh, he hadn't done a startup before. This was his first one. Um, but he also was like, okay, this is my last swing at bat, right? This is not I'm not this is it. This is the one that's either gonna do it or not gonna do it. Um, and so that that was the reason. So like we weren't worried about diluting. You know, we negotiate the fairest value we could. We made sure the terms were meaningful, had good investors. But we were not worried about what our percentage stake in the company was and how that moved over time. We're like, okay, if this thing does what it needs to do, uh, the valuation and all that and the equity dilution will not matter. Like on the margin, it just it it's it, we want it to be a binary outcome. Either it's going to be this huge massive thing which um, will change our lives. Uh, and have a massive impact, or it goes down and crash and burning flames, which is highly likely. But um, we weren't looking to hold on to control. We weren't looking to this like we wanted to be. We didn't want to be king. We want to be rich, I guess. Uh, but when, when when you're doing like ideation and stuff, though, you you either I think you wrote you wrote you wrote it here. You're down with starting a project with a bad idea because you're quite confident that you'll you can figure out you can yes. make it great as you get into it, right? Yes. And my my general advice is, and this is not just you know my personal kind of uh, lived experience, as uh, new folks would say. Having talked to entrepreneurs and kind of looking at the history of them, so many of them, the thing that we know them for now is not the the idea they originally started with. Like there are a handful of cases where, yeah, when exactly the plan, this is what it was, and and often the case is that you will not find the great idea until after you start your company, until after you start having you know, contact with customers and actually trying to do the thing. If you sit on the sidelines trying to assess ideas and look at market metrics and things like that, and it's like, you're just never going to get started. That's the kind of wannabe entrepreneurs that will kind of analyze it to death. It's like, you wouldn't even know what, what a good idea was. It's hard to tell these things until you actually try something. It's, uh, yeah. So my advice is just do it and try it. Um, where do we go from here, Sean? We got. Uh, I think we think we got to wrap. But here, there's this. I think we have to have you on again if you're down because I, here's five topics I want to hear about. Uh, why I don't play golf and what I do instead. Uh, I want that one. Why I hate inefficiency in markets. Uh, why I don't believe in karma, but I believe in extended feedback loops. Uh, sometimes faking it is making it. Uh, introvert engineers guide for public speaking. Like I, I need, I need all of these. So we may have to do another one. Um, I have one question I want to wrap, wrap with in this one, uh, which is. You seem like a, a a pretty astute guy, like you have very very good observations, and I think you 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 know kind of who we are and wh- what we care about and that we would value honestly. So I'm curious. You can ask me the intro question, aren't you? You can ask me the intro question. No, no, not the intro question. That that, that Sam Sam's trying to get all the intros. So he can ask you that one. I want to know. I'm I'm trying to make the content great. So what would be the most uh, fair criticism you could give us on the podcast? What's your critique of the podcast um, for you as a listener? Okay. And, and there's like you can offend. You yeah, exactly. That's kind of okay. what I'm teeing you up for. Say whatever it is, whatever you truly feel. All right. Um, so partly, yeah, I think you have to recognize that you guys are multi-channel. So you're kind of solving for the audio format. I know you have the YouTube videos and things like that. But the one tactical thing that you should fix like next week or the week after is you should apply the Sean 25 headlines thing for headlines for every podcast episode. Like what's the one nugget that's going to cause people to want to listen to that episode, even if they're not subscribed? When they see it in their YouTube feed and YouTube recommends it, it's like, oh, like right. why this successful entrepreneur never played golf and and you shouldn't either whatever yeah, it is right exactly i'm i'm on a i'm 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 taking notes keep going if you do that my my guess is that the click through rate goes up because you yep. can't not um, <laughs> right now you just kind of identify the episode number and the, who the guest is or whatever but there's no real oh, maybe the topic area but right, right now me and sam don't even want people me, to click That's, me and uh, sam don't even touch the headlines dan does it i don't even know i see a notification it goes out and i think to my, i judge the headline myself i'm like ah oh, that's not going to get very many clicks or, oh, that's a juicy one. That'll work. 
I, I say give uh, Dan a free pass to the um, the Sean copyright yeah, report. Yeah, I, I put course yesterday. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, what okay. else? What else you got? Anything else? Of course, you you have more. Who me? Yeah, yeah. What about what, more? That was a weak criticism. Oh, 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 yeah, that was an easy one. Okay. Um, this is a hard one, right? Um, is around. He's gonna say like, just change your voice. Yeah. <laughs> He's like I, your face is great, <laughs> but around, I suppose it's yours. <laughs> yeah. So it's around the it's around the brand, and this is the hardest thing for an entrepreneur to to kind of reconcile with. So uh, a couple of issues that I have as a kind of amateur branding person is that anything that can be reduced in acronym will be, which uh, my first million is often reduced to that. Uh, and then you kind of lose the punch because when it comes down to an acronym, anyone that comes like in immediate, it's like they're not going to know what it is if they don't know what it is. Yep. Uh, and there's some value to that, but it, it doesn't compensate for the kind of opportunity you have. So that's one thing is uh, acronyms not good. Uh, but the other one is that the kind of my first million, there is a cadre, cater, however that word is pronounced, of people that will directly res that topic will resonate with. It's like, oh, I, I want to learn about that. But I think your reach is much wider now, and there are people. There are probably more people outside that sphere that that particular, like, okay, well, it's fine that it's about that, but really the reason I'm here is to hear folks like Baji, right? Like that, and that episode, which is, I think, one of the best episodes you've had, had nothing to do with the first million or anything. It had to do with big ideas. Yeah, and I, look, we, I actually agree with you, and, I, and we've had this conversation. The problem that we had was like, fuck, we're pretty deep into it. We can't change. Yep. Yep. I, I, yep. For what it's worth, I think we should change just because I hate the name. So I don't really care about the brand equity. I'm just sort of like, I don't want to have a thing I, I, that I dislike. I don't. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't love it. <laughs> I really don't. It's. I don't. Yeah. I don't love the name. I don't love and the name of the way, hustle either. If you yep. believe that this thing is going to get ten times bigger in the future, which I do, then ninety percent of our future listeners haven't even heard about us yet, and so uh, we're we're only offending a very small. We're only changing on a very small population of people for the good of the long run. That would be my uh, my, yeah. my. And take. by the way, if you think it's hard now you realize the direction you're headed, it does not get easier, right? It's going to get harder and harder like a year from now, two years from now, five years from now. You're going to, it's like, ah, like, should we have changed this? Like, it, <laughs> you know, what would have been? It's like, not that it's going to have a dramatic impact on the numbers or anything, but on the margin, these things matter and they kind of uh, accrue and accumulate. So I, and here's what I would do to make life easier for, for yourselves. Um, don't decide to change the name, decide to come up with alternatives and then objectively measure those alternatives. Like, okay, Am I willing to give up the brand equity and go through the, the pain of changing a name because this or one this. is just so much better? If right. something clicks for you, great. But make an honest, concerted effort to come up with those alternatives and options. And then you can still decide. It's like, yeah, these are better, but they're just marginally better. They're not better enough to go through the headache of trying to change it. Right. That, that would be my advice. Okay, that's great. Uh, Sam, you want anything else before we go? We're going to follow up with some intros, my man. We got <laughs> Dan, yeah. Dan, do we have an update? Are we reaching out to guests? Can we we got to use Darmesh. He knows everyone. Well, I'm curious, actually, you do know everybody who's awesome, who's like particularly awesome that you're just like either kind of underrated or you're just like, so, you know, one, I don't know as many people as you think, like I'm kind of on the Internet and I do things, but I, you know, I don't like I don't leave my house. Right. So like, it's like you have to in order to kind of be that person, <laughs> you have to sort of like interact with carbon based life forms in real life. Right. Like I don't do that. That's not a thing I do. So. It's hard to kind of build those kinds of relationships, but I would on your list. I would have uh, so I'm not going to be good at intros, but I like Naval would be awesome to have on the podcast. Uh, he's like a like that kind of biology level uh, thinker. I think he'd be awesome. The audience would would love him, so that would be great. Great, we'll uh, take that uh, intro. Thank you. Yeah, he doesn't know me. <laughs> 
I mean, I, he knows me like loosely. I'm, I'm gonna start calling you. Uh, we'll call you Uncle Darmes. You gotta pick it up, man. <laughs> Come on. I, I'm, I'm willing to try. Don't don't, don't get me wrong. <laughs> I have no uh, qualms about trying to make the intro. Just don't uh, just manage your expectations. It's like, well, I thought like Darmesh actually could like swing things and make shit happen. I, 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 <laughs> Anyone else? Someone I do know that I think would be good on the podcast, uh, Drew from Dropbox, I know really well. So that's an intro I could make. Um, What's up? Dropbox. Yeah. That would be a good one. I heard he's an amazing singer. Is that true? He's he's a, he, he's a good singer. <laughs> for, a, for a founder. <laughs> amazing uh, for a founder is what I mean. He's legit. He's legit. Um, yeah. he's so Darmesh. You, Darmesh with Sean was pretty nervous coming up to this because he was like, well, I just like to over-prepare and I don't think good on my feet. Or Sorry, you, you're like, I, I, you know, I, I prepare I, and I don't love like just making shit up. I think you did an excellent job. Dan has been texting me saying, Darmesh is so awesome. I told you, Darmesh, I go, I told you this yesterday. I, I'm going to predict the future. You're going to come on and then you're going to start wanting to come on like once a month maybe. I have a feeling that, that we have just accomplished that and that's going to be true. You're freaking awesome. Um, what's your Twitter handle? It's just Darmesh. So D H A R M E S H. You're you're yeah. really active. So if people want to get in touch with you, everywhere LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, pick your thing. Anything you want to org darmesh.net. Yeah. Anything you want to you want to pimp out or promote? No, I'm not a promoter kind of guy. That's not my thing. Well, thanks, man. This is awesome. We um. I talked to you uh, a lot. I got to set up. I want to set up like times to just holler at you because I, I want to learn about you more. I want to learn about HubSpot. HubSpot. Sam, Sam wants is... to be your first direct report in 15 years. <laughs> no, 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 no. I don't want to. I don't want that. But uh, uh, this is great. Heaton was like, you got to learn from Darmesh. Just learn what makes HubSpot tick. So uh, thanks, dude. This is awesome. We're going to have you thanks back on. Me. Did it Did it turn out as good as you thought? I love you guys. This was, I, this was fun. This was, I... Yeah, and I think it's, it's more importantly, I hope it ends up being useful for the audience. That's the thing I'm solving for. And honestly, I'm looking at this doc. I feel like we left a lot on the table. We have a lot more that we could do. I'm sort of regretting. Uh, you kind of have to. I always feel this way with a guest, by the way. I'm like, the first 20 minutes were slow, but it's also like, I've never met this person. And like, you know, the audience doesn't know all about this person. So there is a certain context building that has to happen. Yeah, yeah. you got to date. But I got to figure out why every every single guest, I'm like, oh, the first 25 minutes were slow, but then it got really good. And yeah. um yeah, I don't know if that's just my own. I'm just kicking myself for, for for no reason, or if other people feel that way. And maybe we should actually do something different and like sort of pull the future forward. Like just pull, just start at the start at that uh, 25 minute mark, basically. This is fun, folks. That's uh, cool. yeah. All right, that's a wrap. All right. Uh-huh. Yeah. I feel like I could rule the world. I know I could be what I want to. I put my all in it like no days off On the road, let's travel, never looking back